1: Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by China. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Xin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. Welcome back, everyone. It's mid-May, and summer is just around the corner, and as we'll be hearing in today's show... Not only have temperatures risen, but so have tensions between the world's two biggest economies. Beijing has accused the U.S. of so-called political manipulation in a dispute over Taiwan. But on a brighter note, we'll also be hearing how U.S. President Biden is open to rolling back some tariffs on the Asian giant as inflation bites. And as you can imagine, COVID-19 is continuing to create all sorts of chaos in the world's second-largest economy, but more on that later. So, with all the juiciest stories from China's business sphere, here's your weekly update. And we start with the latest on the ride-hailing giant Didi Global. The company is back in the news. That's after Didi said it won't complete a cybersecurity review that would allow its operations to return to normal before a U.S. delisting. The news further cools expectations of a business restoration anytime soon. In a recent filing, Didi said it will not be able to complete the cybersecurity review and rectification until it delists its American depository receipts from the New York Stock Exchange. The company added that it can resume normal operation only after completing the review. The statement further dented hopes that the troubled Chinese tech company may soon restore its business and transfer its share trading to Hong Kong in the wake of a regulatory crackdown last year. Shortly after the news broke, Didi's shares in New York plunged on May 12th to new lows at close to $1.46 apiece. That's compared with the IPO price of $14 in June 2021. The company's market value has contracted by nearly 90% from $67 billion at the debut. And speaking of Chinese companies delisting from U.S. exchanges, there's news on Luckin Coffee. In big news, Luckin has denied rumors that it is mulling a listing in Hong Kong. The company stressed that it remains, quote, committed to the U.S. capital markets, Luckin was, of course, removed from the NASDAQ exchange in June 2020 following a fake revenue scandal. In a recent statement, Luckin said it, quote, will continue to monitor capital markets developments and evaluate all revenues to deliver value to its stakeholders, but is not currently pursuing a Hong Kong listing, unquote. The announcement came shortly after the South China Morning Post reported the scandal-dogged firm was considering a Hong Kong listing in a planned return to the equity market, citing unnamed sources. Back in February, Luckin said it had paid $180 million to settle its counting fraud charges in the U.S. after being accused by American regulators of intentionally fabricating around $310 million in retail sales and lying to investors about its fundamentals. Moving from an accounting scandal to some alleged money laundering, Hong Kong police say they have smashed a criminal group that used virtual banks to launder as much as 97 million Hong Kong dollars or around 12.4 million US dollars. Police from the East Kowloon Regional Crime Unit arrested 17 people last week, alleging that they had lured people to open virtual bank accounts and launder money through those accounts. Those arrested claimed that they were transport workers, waiters, housewives, or jobless people. Some were reportedly members of gangster groups. The authorities say that the laundered money was linked to illegal proceeds from gambling, loan sharking, and online shopping scams. People were enticed to open multiple virtual bank accounts and give their login information to gang members in exchange for rewards of as much as 1000 Hong Kong dollars. Group members then logged into the accounts from different mobile devices to launder money. Let's move on to some major geopolitical developments. U.S. President Joe Biden may drop some tariffs on Chinese imports to help control rising consumer prices in the U.S. Biden broke the news in a speech last week on inflation. He added that the White House is reviewing tariffs imposed under former President Donald Trump and could opt to drop them altogether. At a routine press conference shortly after Biden's speech, a Chinese foreign ministry spokesman didn't comment on whether the U.S. approached China for tariff talks and reiterated that duties imposed unilaterally by the U.S. are not in the interest of China, the U.S., or the global economy. The spokesman said that it's time for the U.S. to cancel the tariffs as early as possible, as they have cost American companies $1.7 trillion so far, and each American household $1,300 annually. Biden said he was considering eliminating Trump-era tariffs on China to lower prices for goods in the U.S., but said, quote, no decision has been made on it, unquote. Biden's team has been reviewing U.S. policy on China since taking office and inheriting duties Trump slapped on about $550 billion of annual imports from the Asian nation in the hope of shrinking the goods trade deficit. China retaliated during the trade war with tariffs on various U.S. products, although it later started waiving some of them. Many Americans, including former U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, say they think some of the tariffs have hurt the U.S., particularly those on agricultural goods. As I said at the start of the show, there have also been some thorny developments in Sino-U.S. ties, Beijing has accused Washington of attempting to change the status quo across the Taiwan Strait. That's after the U.S. government removed some key expressions describing its position on Taiwan from the State Department's website. The deleted expressions in the updated U.S.-Taiwan relations fact sheet included, quote, The U.S. recognizes Taiwan is part of China, as well as, quote, does not support the island's independence. Both of these comments are seen by Beijing as part of the one-China principle that governs the cross strait relations. In reaction, a U.S. State Department spokesperson downplayed the change in the fact sheet during a press conference saying that it was a routine update and that the U.S.'s one-China policy remains unchanged. But in Beijing, a foreign ministry spokesman criticized the change, calling it an act of so-called political manipulation intended to write off the One China policy. Beijing sees Taiwan as a breakaway province that should be brought under its rule by force if necessary. Moving on to the latest on COVID vaccines and China, a medical database shows that the German vaccine developer BioNTech completed a safety trial of its mRNA COVID shot in China in January. The results, however, are not available publicly yet. The mRNA vaccine is distributed by Pfizer outside Greater China. It is one of the most widely used worldwide, with robust data showing its effectiveness and safety in late-stage trials published in multiple peer-reviewed journals. The shot, known by the commercial name Comirnaty has already been used widely in Hong Kong, Macau, and Taiwan. On the Chinese mainland, the vaccine has languished in review by the National Medical Products Administration since July. That's according to market updates from local distributor Fosun Pharma, which collaborated on the trial. China is studying the use of mRNA vaccines on the mainland to complement domestically produced shots. Beijing has thus far vaccinated about 89% 89% of its domestic population, mostly with inactivated virus vaccines made by Sinopharm and Sinovac. Those shots have proven to be safe and effective at preventing hospitalization and death, but have shown a lower rate of general protection from the virus. Beijing remains tight-lipped, however, about whether it plans to deploy BioNTech's shot at all, even as medical experts suggest it could be used as a booster to overcome the deficiencies of locally made vaccines in controlling more contagious new strains in a statement to caixin biontech said mainland authorities are still reviewing and evaluating vaccine after the firm submitted a comprehensive data package it did not give a timeline And speaking of COVID, for more on the country's biggest updates on the virus, let's turn to Nandini Venkata, who is, of course, Caixin Global's podcast producer and co-producer of this program. Great to see you, Nandini.
0: Hey, Kaiser. Great to be here.
1: Okay, Nandini, you're going to be offering us an update with the latest on China's COVID situation and the latest news on Shanghai supposedly finally coming out of the long lockdown. So what is the latest?
0: So... Today, um, that's May 16th, Shanghai announced that it does indeed have a plan to get out of lockdown. Um, This plan would, that plan, it says, could allow businesses to fully reopen and also for life to return to normal by the end of June. Now, this is all according to Shanghai's vice mayor, who said that the city has effectively controlled the latest outbreak.
1: Great news, if that's true. So how are they actually going to do this?
0: So the authorities are now going to launch a three-phase plan um, this very week. And this will basically see the restrictions um, gradually lifted. All of this is happening not long after late last week, the city's virus cases fell below 1,000. And um, there were also no COVID cases uh, detected in either Shanghai's centralized quarantine facilities or in sealed off residential areas um, for two days in a row. So quite obviously, this news is going to be a huge relief to the people of Shanghai who have been living under very strict COVID restrictions. That is, of course, putting it very mildly. Um, but just as Shanghai seems to be getting ready to crawl out of its lockdown, we should also bear in mind that there are several other cities in China which are still facing such um, virus control measures. So in fact, uh, in on May 10th, it was estimated that around 40 cities in the country are either Um, have implemented full or partial lockdowns or some kind of district-based control measures. So that would mean that almost 290 million people in China are in a lockdown or their movements are somehow limited by COVID controls.
1: Okay, and Nadini, the other big story making the news is that China says it will no longer be hosting the Asian Cup, which is a major sporting event, of course. What is up with that?
0: Yeah, Kaiser. So for anyone who isn't a fan of soccer, or as we say in the UK, football, um, here's some quick backgrounds. Um, so the Asian Cup is a 24-nation tournament, and it takes place every four years. The next tournament was set to take place in China in the summer of 2023, and uh, China had secured the hosting rights in uh, 2019, but now the Asian nation has pulled out of its commitment to host the Games, and this is due to the ongoing COVID-19 outbreak. So according to a statement that was um, published by the Asian Football Confederation on Weibo, Um, the exceptional circumstances caused by the COVID-19 pandemic led the Chinese football organizers to make what they describe as a very difficult but necessary decision in the collective interests of the tournament. That same statement also said that the pandemic made it very hard for China to commit to hosting to games under a fully open model. And I guess it's clear to see why this is... um, So eye-catching. I mean, the thing that really stands out to me is the timeline. After all, the Asian Cup was meant to take place in June, July 2023. So that's obviously well over a year away from now. So this very well suggests that for more than a year or so, China could very well be hanging on to its COVID controls and indeed, of course, the dynamic zero COVID policy
1: Nandini, on that note, I should jump in here and point out how the WHO's director general called on Beijing to reconsider its zero COVID policy. Tedros Cabrillas, who said something along the lines that given how differently the new variants of the virus are behaving, and given what we now know about the virus more generally, a strict zero COVID policy is unsustainable. But Beijing appears to have no plans to shift away from zero COVID. Is that correct, Nandini?
0: Yeah, that is definitely how things are looking. Um, So indeed, earlier this month, um, the country's leadership did reiterate how vital it is for China to keep on pursuing its dynamic zero COVID strategy. Zero COVID, of course, describes a goal of keeping China completely free of COVID. So this is um, done using tactics such as mass testing, contact tracing, lockdowns, um, limiting the numbers of people who can come into the country, and also having any inbound arrivals um, from abroad undergo a quarantine at a designated center. So, of course, this is something that we are definitely not seeing in other parts of the world um, many countries elsewhere have accepted that COVID is here to stay, and they have opted to just coexist with the virus. Um, But this is not what we're seeing in China. So uh, earlier this month, there was a meeting um, of the Politburo Standing Committee, and that meeting was chaired by President Xi Jinping. And Basically, at the meeting, it it was expressed how it's too early for China to shift away from zero COVID because COVID outbreaks still remain high worldwide and that the virus keeps on mutating. So all of this would put China in a very risky position. And I think that something which could uh, make China reluctant to rethink its stance is also this new peer-reviewed study that has come out. Um, This is a study by researchers at Shanghai's Fudan University, and it was published in the journal Nature. Um, It's also peer-reviewed. And it, it has some pretty dramatic findings. So not only does it say that the country could experience a, quote, tsunami of COVID cases if it ditched its zero COVID approach. But the study also said that going down such a path could result in a huge number of deaths, Um, 1.6 million, in fact. And it says the, the researchers came to this conclusion because they say that the nation's level of immunity right now is insufficient, and that China's medical resources would simply be overwhelmed by such a huge outbreak of Omicron. So, yeah, all I can say, Kaiser, is watch this space.
1: Well, I debate this constantly with my friends who don't seem to think about the capacity to handle a huge surge of hospitalizations. Uh, Nandini, uh, thanks so much, and we will indeed watch this space.
0: Thanks, Kaiser. Speak to you soon.
1: And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts on the Seneca Network, like the amazing China in Africa podcast and China Corner Office. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for our daily newsletter find us at supchina.com thanks for listening and we'll see you next week take care